Hey gang, Tom Mullen here. Do you have a child who spends more time than you'd like in front of screens consuming low quality content? Well, you can turn that screen time into something fun and worthwhile. I'm talking about mini coders, an educational game-based platform including companion apps made for kids with video tutorials, virtual assistant, and games where kids learn coding skills while they play in the Roblox metaverse, all under the safety and guidance of a virtual assistant and in-game tutors. MiniCoders is perfect for homeschooled, unschooled, or traditionally schooled children alike and helps them build 21st century skills and have a ball doing so. Right now, you can try out MiniCoders with no obligation by registering for a free trial at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders. That's M-I-N-I-C-O-D-E-R-S. Again, just visit TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders and start your free trial today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today, I wanted to call your attention to a talking point that the Empire has adopted that really is a little creepy when you think about it and is accepted at face value by most people, repeated verbatim by most people. But it's, of course, completely false, like all the Empire's talking points. And that is this overwhelming concern about our democracy and the danger that it's in, whether from Joe Biden and the Democrats or Donald Trump, who hasn't been president for over a year now, or white supremacists or communists or whomever your boogeyman of the moment happens to be. But the reality is that quote, our democracy, unquote, doesn't exist. There is no such political entity on the North American continent. Now, we have a constitution of the United States that describes a federal republic. And I've said on different occasions that the distinction between republic and democracy is often overstated, but that doesn't mean there's no difference at all. There is a difference, and I just wanted to go over a few of the difference between our system and the our democracy system that the empire would like you to believe we have. And I guess I should give you the usual disclaimer. Yes, I'm an anarcho-capitalist libertarian. I don't believe in either one of these systems, but seeing as it is all written down and nice and legal-like, I, I figure we should at least follow the rules of the people who claim their legitimacy from this constitution. So number one, the difference between a republic and a democracy is that in a democracy, the people as a whole make the rules. And the majority, of course, wins when there's a dispute, but the people directly legislate and as far as executing the laws in a pure democracy, you'd still have an executive. In a republic, the people elect representatives to do that job for them. And there's two reasons for this. One is convenience. It's just inconvenient for people to, to be spending so much time legislating and deciding what the rules are going to be. But more importantly, 
Just like there's a division of labor for just about everything else, you don't make your own shoes, you don't grow your own food, somebody else does that, then the idea behind a republic is we're going to assign this task to people who are supposedly experts at it. Save your hysterical laughter for the end of the podcast. So you elect these representatives, and I guess once you get to that point, the next thing that people believe, which is not really the truth, is that the representatives are just supposed to do what the people who elected them want. And that's not our system either. Strictly speaking, the people that are elected are elected because they know better what should be done than the great mass of the people. That's why you have representatives. So whether the people want it or not, they're supposed to do what they think is best for the rest of the political entity. So that's really what a republic means. That's quite a difference between just what the majority wants. So in our system, again, this is the civics class fairy tale about what's supposed to be happening, is all the people decide, all the majority decides, is who is going to make the laws. It doesn't decide what laws are going to be made. So that's number one difference between a republic and a democracy. Now, of course, if the representative continually does things that the people don't want him or her to do, then of course they're not going to keep getting reelected. So there's a built-in will of the people, for better or worse, aspect to the republic. But strictly speaking, that's not their duty. Their duty is to do what they think best. But the United States Constitution isn't happy with that situation. So the United States Constitution assumes that even if the people elect the best decision makers, that those decision makers should not be trusted with too much power. So the federal constitution, the United States Constitution, as opposed to the various state constitutions, enumerates certain powers, and these are the only things that those representatives are allowed to do. Those are the only powers they're allowed to exercise. So if you read the list, it's pretty narrow, other than the Commerce Clause, which we could deal with on another day, and I think I will deal with on a separate podcast, because there's a lot of dispute about how narrow or wide the Commerce Clause is. Of course, the government has interpreted ridiculously widely for its own purposes. That's what you get when you allow the federal government to decide what powers it has. It's going to keep discovering new ones, as many people have said before me. But we have these elections, and the people elect representatives who are going to make laws within a narrow frame of defined powers they have. So it doesn't matter if 99% of the people want them to do one thing. If it's not on the list of powers that these representatives have, in theory, it's not supposed to be done. It doesn't matter if the polls show 100% of the people want the representatives to exercise a certain power. If it's not on the list, they're not allowed to exercise it. So that's quite a bit different from this idea of our democracy where these representatives supposedly exercise the will of the majority. So now let's take a look at the structure of the Constitution. And as it was originally ratified, the only democratic part of the whole government was the House of Representatives. That was the only group of officials who were democratically elected by the people originally. The Senate was originally elected by the state legislatures, 
And the president, of course, was elected by the electors. So the only direct Democratic election in the whole system was the House of Representatives, and that was for a reason because the founders were very suspicious of democracy, and they wanted to include a democratic element. But when you think about it, really, all the rest of the Constitution is anti-democratic. And again, we now have the senators elected directly, thank you to the progressive era. But speaking about it originally, the whole Constitution was anti-democratic, except for the House of Representatives. So you had the Senate elected by state legislatures as a check on the whole federal government because they consider the states the sovereigns and the federal government their agent. Federal government comes from the word federation. It was not a national government, and we still call it a federal government today, even though it acts like a national government. But originally, the Senate was supposed to check the House of Representatives and the president The president had the veto power. That's anti-democratic. That means that if 100% of the House of Representatives and 100% of the senators pass a bill, one person can still veto it if he or she doesn't think it's a good idea or if it's unconstitutional, which is the reason many vetoes were issued in the first half of our history. So then you have the judicial branch, and there is some dispute about whether the judicial branch really even has the power to rule on the constitutionality of laws. Certainly, it was never intended that they could declare state laws unconstitutional. In fact, Madison tried to get Congress a veto over state laws all summer long during the Constitutional Convention. And that's one thing that was soundly rejected by wide margins, almost unanimous on the last day, I believe. So never was it intended that the federal government would be able to overrule state laws. There's some dispute about whether it was intended they could rule on constitutionality of federal laws. Jefferson, of course, said absolutely not. The power to decide whether a certain law is constitutional or not can't reside with the federal government itself, or they're going to find everything constitutional, which they did from the 1930s until the 1990s, one of the worst periods for constitutional restraint in our history. So what we're supposedly calling our democracy has a whole lot of anti-democratic institutions built into it. In fact, just about all the institutions, the separation of powers, the veto power, the judiciary. And now let's talk about the Bill of Rights. Every one of those amendments is anti-democratic. And it's really funny because you'll hear conservatives, people like Tucker Carlson, referring to suppression of free speech as being a threat to democracy. No, democracy is the threat to free speech. That's why they put in an amendment that said this democratically elected House of Representatives can't pass a law that infringes free speech. Okay, they were afraid of the democracy. That's why every one of those amendments was passed. The democratically elected House of Representatives can't pass a law that will infringe the right to bear arms, that will allow unreasonable searches and seizures that will deprive anyone of life, liberty, or property without due process. It's not an exaggeration to say that the Constitution in its structure and form and the Bill of Rights were all passed to protect us from democracy. So referring to this system as our democracy 
is, in my opinion, intentionally misleading. Yes, they'd like you to think that as long as you have a right to vote, that the government can do anything it wants. Of course they do. But that's not the system that we have. That's not the system that anyone ever agreed to. What was agreed to, and only with a lot of these states and a lot of people within the states kicking and screaming, and I'm referring to the anti-federalists, was a government with narrowly defined powers outside of which it was not allowed to stray. No matter how many people voted, no matter what the margin was, 99% to 1%, the government was only allowed to exercise those powers unless an amendment to the Constitution was passed. So to describe a system like that, that has so many checks and safeguards against the very minute democratic element contained within it as our democracy, again, it's intentionally misleading. And even more than that, it's really become kind of creepy because democracy has become more like a religion that needs to be worshipped. Oh my goodness, this is a threat to our democracy. And all kinds of wonderful things are associated with the word democracy, and everything else has to be bad. So free speech is something associated with democracy. Wrong. The First Amendment is anti-democratic, but they want you to think that. And the rule of law is supposedly something associated with democracy. Wrong again. I mean, really... One of the great dangers the founders feared as far as the rule of law and especially the rights to keep private property was the will of the majority. There's more of them. They're going to vote themselves other people's property. That's the first thing that they worried about. And those concerns turned out to be rather justified, wouldn't you say? And I think the last thing that's very deceiving is that we have these elections and the narrative gets put out that, let's say, when Barack Obama won the 2008 election, that a majority of the people have spoken and everything that Barack Obama wants to do is something legitimate for him to do. So the first thing wrong with that narrative is a majority of people do not elect the president. The president is elected by about one-fourth of the people who live in the United States. And I could just do the numbers for you. The last presidential election we had, it is reported that Joe Biden got about 80 million votes. Donald Trump got about 74 million votes. There's about 320 million people in the country. Now, about 80 million of those are children, but they're still people. So Joe Biden got votes equaling about one-fourth of the population of the country. Furthermore, Joe Biden did not even get a majority of the eligible voters. So there was a very high turnout in the last presidential election. Normally, it's maybe just over half. This one, it was more like two-thirds of the eligible voters voted, but that other third didn't vote. So Joe Biden got the votes of about one-third of the eligible voters. Let's take a short break for this important message. Friends, if you like to read books as much as I do, there comes a time when you realize you just won't ever find the time to read every book you're interested in. Well, I have great news. Blinkist offers the key ideas from nonfiction bestsellers in as little as 15 minutes. 
For most books and their extensive library, you can choose to read or listen to Blinks, which summarize the main ideas and allow you to absorb whole books in the time it takes to run your daily errands or commute to work. Not only does Blinkist allow you to glean the information you need from books you don't have time to read, it helps you to decide which ones to spend time reading and get more details. You can try out Blinkist for free and get 20% off your first year by going to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. That's TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Blinkist. Start your free trial and get 20% off today. And now let's get back to the show. On the answer, then you quietly save the day. You were right, Mr. Spock, about everything you said. We humans just are logical, too crazy in the head. And in most cases, the president gets the votes of about one quarter of eligible voters. And you might be inclined to say, well, if you don't vote, then you're resigning yourself to the results. No. The system is supposed to be built, so it doesn't matter that much who's president, because the president's only going to exercise a narrow group of powers. He's only going to be able to sign or veto laws within a very narrow range of powers, so people should have the option not to vote and not take an interest in this. So Joe Biden's being president is the wishes of a minority of eligible voters, about one-third. And then let's look further at how presidents get elected. They get elected by building coalitions of interest groups. So if you go on Joe Biden's campaign website, which I have right here, you'll see that he's got plans for giving every American affordable health care. So some people care very strongly about that. And that's the most important thing to them. And they don't really care very much about Joe Biden's COVID plan or Joe Biden's Restoring American Leadership Abroad Plan, i.e. running the empire like it used to be run. So a confluence of different interest groups come together, and they all get behind Joe Biden. Some small percentage of them agree with him on everything, and then the rest just kind of go along because they're going to get their pet program signed off on. And this is the same thing for Donald Trump. It's the same thing for every presidential candidate. So most of what the president or the Congress does is by no means any reflection of the will of the majority. No group of 330 million people could have a single will or even 170 million of those. It's just preposterous, the whole idea. It's a fairy tale. And of course, this is the reason that even when the United States were much smaller as a federal republic, that most of the powers were left to the states. And I would like to also make a comment on the state constitutions. They are a lot more democratic in that all of the things I said applied except for the enumerated powers. So the state constitutions, you do elect representatives who are, in theory, wiser than the people on what the rules should be. But once elected, they can pretty much pass any laws they want as long as they don't violate the state's bills of rights. And I want to bring up the state's bills of rights because the fact that each state has one and that they all pretty much mirror the federal government's bill of rights should tell you something that 
The federal Bill of Rights was never intended to apply to the states. The states were supposed to be able to govern themselves completely independently of the federal government, and they only delegated certain limited powers to the federal government. And that's why when you see even states that were admitted to the Union after the Bill of Rights was ratified, they'll still have a protection of free speech. They'll still have a protection of the right to bear arms. They will still have a protection against unreasonable searches and seizures. Why? Because the Bill of Rights was originally only intended to apply to the federal government. Now, there's a theory called the Incorporation Doctrine that the 14th Amendment somehow brought the Bill of Rights to bear on the states. I don't happen to agree with that, but there are arguments on both sides of that one. But again, notice that even the state governments are not democracies. They are republics. They have representative government, and the representatives are constrained by a Bill of Rights, which they are not allowed to violate. So if you're looking for a democracy among the states, you're not going to find one. Now, there is democracy as an element in both the state and federal governments and more in the states, but none of them are a democracy. And it's an important point because the whole idea of pounding the public with this notion that the government is a democracy can really only have one motivation, and that's to convince people that as long as they can vote, that the government can do anything it wants. And that's not the idea at all. Now, lest you think that I'm making a bigger deal out of this than it really is, I am going to call your attention to a book that I'll encourage you to read. I'll link to it on the show notes page. And it's called United States President's Inaugural Speeches. And it's exactly that. It's all the inaugural speeches of all the presidents from Washington till the present. Now, why would I want you to read such political drivel? Well, there's a couple reasons. It's very interesting to read them one after another because it kind of provides you a high-level view of what was going on in the United States over given periods of its history because right from the beginning, of course, inaugural speeches were just political speeches. So the president who is just sworn in wants to score some political points with the public and will talk about things that he thought would score him those points. One interesting thing I'll point out, James Buchanan, the last president before the Civil War, during his inaugural speech, has to make a case that, well, we all do agree that the federal government is allowed to build roads for military purposes, right? And the reason that he says that is because that late in American history, people still did not consider road building something that the federal government should be involved in. The Constitution only gives a very limited power for the government to do that strictly for military purposes, and James Buchanan thinks that needs to be pointed out. So that was kind of interesting. In fact, Tom DiLorenzo said on the episode he appeared on for Tom Mullen Talks Freedom that all of the states had actually passed amendments to their Constitution forbidding the government to allocate funds to any private corporation for anything including road building. So until Lincoln got in there and the Civil War occurred, resulting in the Republicans having control for half a century over the federal government, road building was a private matter, privately owned, funded, operated, for profit. 
But the reason I bring this book up now is that if you go through those speeches of the first 28 presidents from 1789 all the way till 1921, only two refer to the United States as any kind of a democracy. And of course, the two that do are both big government guys. The first was John Quincy Adams. He referred to the United States political system as a confederated representative democracy. And William Henry Harrison, the ninth president, referred to it as a simple representative democracy or republic. But besides those two, the other 26 of the first 28 presidents don't mention the word democracy at all in their inaugural speeches. That should tell you something. Nobody talked about our democracy back then. They used to talk about our constitution. That's how all of the founding generation talked about the United States system of government, our constitution, and occasionally the republic. But this our democracy thing is completely a product of the progressive era. Unfortunately, a president that I like seems to have initiated the habit of calling it a democracy, and that being Warren Harding. Coolidge did not refer to it as a democracy in his inaugural speech. And then after that, of course, big government Hoover, big government Roosevelt, and bigger government, all the rest of them. But just as support for my theory that this our democracy thing is both new and not born of good intentions, just go back and read those speeches and take notice of the way presidents for well over the first century talked about the United States system of government. So two more things I wanted to point out about how silly this idea of our democracy is, is that even everything I've set up until now, notwithstanding, the fact that most laws in our country are made by administrative agencies, and this is right in the Supreme Court decision that upheld a stay on Joe Biden's vaccine mandate, they say right in that decision that most law is not made by the Congress in the United States. Most law is made by administrative agencies, by unelected bureaucrats. Sure, the heads of those agencies are appointed by somebody elected, but they're not elected. And most of the people who write these laws aren't even appointed by an elected person. They're just hired into the agencies. Most laws are not made by elected representatives. As I said in my last podcast, most foreign policy is not really conducted by anybody elected. The only elected people in the executive branch are the president and vice president. And the vice president isn't assigned any power except for president of the Senate. All that that person's supposed to do is preside over the Senate, break ties, and act as a parliamentary administrator. So only the president really is elected to do anything in the executive branch, but most foreign policy is carried out by lifetime employees in the Department of State, in the CIA, in the Pentagon. So not much democracy there either, none at all, in fact. And really, although democracy can be a very bad thing in terms of mob rule, the people who work in these administrative agencies and in our foreign policy establishment are completely unaccountable to anybody. It's hard to fire them. It's almost impossible to fire them. You could probably move somebody out and put them on a pension so we could pay them for the rest of their lives for their incompetence. But competence is not something that's rewarded and incompetence is not something that's punished within the federal government. See Victoria Newland. 
Nothing she's ever been involved in has been a success. And yet she just keeps moving up and getting promoted. So describing this system as a democracy, number one, is not accurate. Number two, would not be a good thing, (laughs) even if it was. And it's a little sanctimonious to go around denigrating other nations that the empire calls dictatorships when in fact they have the same form of government and in some cases are not as tyrannical as Washington, D.C. So I'm going to ask all of you a little favor, and that's try to be as obnoxious as I am just once in a while. When you hear your friends repeating this Our Democracy mantra, push back on it a little. Remind them we don't have a democracy. Remind them that our Constitution is built to protect us from democracy. Democracy is not a good thing in and of itself. It's really quite a bad thing. And if anything, the reason that the United States was a freer country for most of its history than most other countries in history is that it severely limited the amount of issues that could be put to a vote. And that once they were put to a vote, there were all kinds of hoops to make sure that a simple majority vote did not decide that issue. In fact, it is not a stretch to say that the founding principle of the United States, both the state governments and the federal republic, was very libertarian. And no, that's not a stretch. If you've read my book, Where Do Conservatives and Liberals Come From?, I defy anybody to not be convinced that, yes, indeed, the original principle was libertarian. Jefferson says so right in his speech. He doesn't use the word libertarian, but he says that the purpose of the government is to enforce the non-aggression principle. In fact, so firmly established was that idea that the government's sole purpose was to enforce the non-aggression principle that when Woodrow Wilson ran on a whole new program with a new definition of freedom, he actually said this. He said, we used to think in Jefferson's time that the government shouldn't interfere with anybody unless that person harms somebody else. But now life's too complicated for that. So whether you agree with Wilson or not, he did acknowledge that we have to get America off a libertarian principle and onto this new progressive one. So remind your friends, folks, that when you hear everybody from both parties, even the Republican Party, who it would seem would benefit from saying the word republic instead of democracy, that they're being mind-controlled when this constant mantra of everything being a threat to our democracy and the sacredness of our democracy, they use religious words for it. That should creep you out. The democratic element in our systems of government are only useful insofar as they preserve freedom, and they've done a pretty crappy job. And I would submit that it's because we've got way too much democracy. Not that too many people get to vote, but that there's too many aspects of our lives that people get to vote on. So we need a lot less democracy and a lot more freedom. And please remind your friends and your relatives that when they're repeating the talking points off the news about our democracy, tell them we don't have a democracy. Tell them we have a republic with strictly limited powers. And this guy, Tom Mullen, says even that's way too much and we should try Murray Rothbard's system instead. But if we're going to keep the republic then it at least should follow its own rules written down in this constitution from which it supposedly derives its just powers. Okay, folks, end of rant. 
I just wanted to give you a heads up that I've got some big news coming for April. I'm going to be launching a Patreon. And of course, that's not the big news. The big news is that I'll have a lot more content available for paying members. And that'll include extra written content, some extra video content, and also some courses I'm going to be launching, which will be available for sale, but will be free to paying members at certain levels. So I'll have more details on that in the next couple of weeks ahead. I'm finishing up a writing project. And after that, hope to free myself up to devote way more time to the podcast and to additional content. So stay tuned and I'll see you on Friday. Okay, friends, that's going to do it for today. If you haven't already, don't forget to download a free copy of my new ebook, It's the Fed, Stupid, at itsthefedstupid.com. And if you like the music you've heard on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at tommullensings.com. Thanks for listening. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to tommullentalksfreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.